Section 10 of the Turquoise Storybook Stories and Legends of Summer and Nature This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Turquoise Storybook Stories and Legends of Summer and Nature by Ada M. Skinner and Eleanor L. Skinner The Summer Princess Mrs. Molesworth Once upon a time, in a country far to the north of the world, lived a king and a queen who had everything they could wish for except an heir to their throne. That does not mean that they had no troubles at all. The queen thought she had a good many, and the king had one which was more real than any of her fancied ones. His queen was a terrible grumbler. She was a grumbler by nature, and besides this, she had been a spoiled child. As she was very beautiful and could be very sweet and charming when in a contented mood, the king had fallen deeply in love with her when he was on his travels round the world, and had persuaded her to leave her own home in the sunny south to accompany him to his northern kingdom. There she had much to make her happy. While the first summer lasted, she almost forgot to grumble. But when the winter came, fierce and boisterous as it always is in those lands, she grew very miserable. She shivered with cold, and instead of bracing herself to bear it, she wrapped herself in her furs and sat from morning till night cowering over a huge fire. Although she brightened up as each summer came around, with the return of each winter, it was again the same sad story. However, one day, late in the autumn, she actually forgot her terror of the cold so far as to remain out walking in the grounds of the palace, though the snow-clouds were gathering thick and heavy overhead. She was alone, for sometimes, in her saddest moods, she could bear no one, not even the most faithful of her ladies, near her. "'If only I had a child of my own, I would never complain of anything again,' As the queen uttered her wish, she raised her eyes upwards and was startled to see some snowflakes already falling. She turned to hasten indoors, exclaiming as she went, To think that winter is upon us already. I shall no longer have even the small pleasure of a stroll in the garden. But if I had a child to play with and care for, even the dreary winter would not seem so long. Everything would be bright and sunshiny to me. "'Are you sure of that?' said a voice behind her, and glancing up the queen saw a lovely figure. It was that of a beautiful woman with golden hair wreathed with flowers, but her face was somewhat pale, and she drew round her a mantle of russet brown, as if to protect her from the cold. "'I am the spirit of the summer,' she said. "'I knew you well in your childhood in the south, and here, too.' I have watched you, though you did not know it. Your wish shall be fulfilled. I will bring you the child you are longing for. But remember, the gift will lead to no lasting happiness unless you overcome your heart of discontent. For I can only do my part. My brother, the powerful spirit of winter, is stern and severe. He has heard your murmurings already, and if when your wish is granted you still continue them, I tremble for the fate of your child. 
"'Thank you. Oh, thank you, sweet spirit,' said the queen. "'I will indeed take heed for the future and never murmur again.' "'I trust so,' said the fairy. "'For listen, what will happen if you forget your resolution?' The slightest touch of snow would, in that case, put the child into my stern brother's power, and you would find yourself terribly punished. Beware, therefore, I must hasten away. As she said this, the gracious figure seemed to disappear in a rosy haze, and almost at the same moment a cold blast driving the snowflakes before it came with a rush from behind, where the young queen stood, almost lifting her from her feet. That must surely be the spirit of the winter himself, she thought, as she hurried indoors. The summer spirit was true to her promise. On the loveliest morning of all that year was born a baby princess, the prettiest baby that ever was seen. A true child of the summer, said the happy queen. And strong to brave and enjoy the winter too, I trust, added the king. She must be a true princess of the north, as her mother is fast becoming, I hope, he went on with a smile. But his words did not please the queen, though they were so kindly meant. With the possession of the child, though she was so overjoyed to have her, the young queen's wayward and dissatisfied spirit began to return. She seemed to think the princess was to be only hers, that the nation and even the king must give way in everything that concerned the child to its mother's will. She was even displeased one day when she overheard some of her ladies admiring the beautiful color of the child's hair and saying that it showed her a true daughter of the north. No such thing, said the queen. It shows her a child of the sunshine and the summer, my sweet rose for so, to please the queen, the baby had been named. On the whole, however, while the summer lasted, the queen was too happy with the child to give way to any real murmurings, and once or twice when she might perhaps have done so, there was wafted to her by the breeze the sound of a gentle, Beware! And she knew the summer fairy was near. So, for the first winter of the child's life, the queen was on her guard, and nothing went wrong, except now and then, when the king reproached his wife with over-care of the child, when the weather was at all severe. "'I wish to make her brave and hardy,' said the king. In some strange way, however, the princess, child though she was, seemed to understand what her father felt about her. It was noticed that before she could speak at all, she would dance in her nurse's arms and stretch out her little hands with glee at the sight of the snowflakes falling steadily and once or twice when a draught of frosty air blew upon her, she laughed with delight instead of shrinking or shivering. But so well were the queen's feelings understood that no one ventured to tell her of these clear signs that Rose felt herself at home in the land of snow. The winter passed, and the summer came again, the second summer of the child's life. She had grown like the flowers and was as happy as the butterflies. Never was a sweeter or merrier child. The queen idolized her, and the king loved her quite as dearly, though in a wiser way, and that summer passed very happily. Unfortunately, however, the warm, fine days came to an end, unusually early that year. Many of the birds took flight for the south sooner than was their wont, and the flowers drooped and withered as if afraid of what was coming. 
The queen noticed these signs with a sinking heart. Standing one chilly morning at the palace windows, she watched the grey autumn sky and sighed deeply. Alas, alas, she said, all the beauty and brightness are going again. She did not know that the king had entered the room and was standing behind her. Nay, he said cheerfully, you have no reason to feel so sad. If you had no other flower, you have our rose, blooming as brightly in the winter as in the warmth. He meant it well, but it would have been wiser if he had said nothing. The queen turned toward him impatiently. It is so, she said angrily. Rose is like me. She loves the summer and the sunshine. I do not believe she would live through your wretched northern winters but for my care, and the anxiety is too much for me. The life in this country is but half a life. Would that I had known it before I ever came hither. The king was deeply hurt and disappointed, and he left the room without speaking. He was generally so kind and patient that this startled her and brought her to her senses. How wrong of me to grieve him so by my wild words, she thought penitently, and a sudden horror came over her. The princess nurse picked up some fir cones and gave them to the little girl, who threw them about with glee and called out for more. They were all so busy playing with her that they did not notice. Above the heads of the tall fir trees, the sky was growing dark and overcast, till suddenly a strange chill blast made the queen gather her mantle round her and gaze up in alarm. "'We must hasten home,' she said. "'It's growing cold.' "'Yes, indeed,' said one of the ladies. "'It almost looks like—' "'But the queen interrupted her. "'She could not bear even the mention of the fatal word. "'Wrap up the princess,' she exclaimed. "'Cover her over, face and all. "'Never mind if she cries. "'My darling, we shall be home directly. "'The cold wind would hurt you,' she added. "'Then they hurried back to the palace "'as quickly as the goats could be persuaded to go, "'even the queen herself running fast to keep up with the little carriage. "'They were within a short distance of the palace before any snow fell, "'though it was clear to be seen that it was not far off, "'and the queen was beginning to breathe again more freely, "'when suddenly Princess Rose, with a cry of baby mischief, "'pushed away the shawl that was over her face, shouting with glee. "'At that moment!' the first fluttering snowflakes began to fall. The little princess opened wide her eyes as she caught sight of them and smiled as if in greeting, and alas, before the terrified queen had time to replace the covering, the child had thrown off. One solitary flake alighted on her cheek, melting there into a tiny drop which looked like a tear, though still the little princess smiled. The queen seized the child in her arms, rushed up the long flight of steps all through the great halls and corridors like a mad creature, nor stopped even to draw breath till she had reached the princess's apartments, and had her safe in the rooms specially prepared for her during the winter. But was she safe? Was it not already too late? With trembling dread the queen drew away the furs and shawls wrapped round the baby, almost expecting to find her changed in some strange way, and it was with thankfulness she saw that little Rose was still herself, sweet and smiling in her sleep.
for she was fast asleep. The darling, the precious angel, thought the poor mother as she laid her in her little cot, just as the ladies and nurses and attendants came trooping into the room. She's only asleep, said the queen in a whisper. Nothing has happened to her. She's sleeping sweetly. The ladies stared. The queen's behavior had been so strange that they could not understand her. It is a pity to be so anxious about the child, they said to one another. It will bring no blessing, for they thought it all came from the queen's foolish terror, lest the little princess should catch cold, and they shook their heads. But the queen seemed full of thankfulness. She was very gentle and subdued. Many times that afternoon she came back to see if little Rose was well, but she was still sleeping. The fresh keen air has made her drowsy, I suppose, said the head nurse, late in the evening when the queen returned again. And she's had nothing to eat since the middle of the day, said the mother anxiously. I almost think if she does not wake herself in an hour or so, you will have to rouse her. To this the nurse agreed. But two hours later, in the queen's next visit to the nursery, there was a strange report to give her. The nurse had tried to wake the baby, but it was all in vain. Little Rose just smiled sweetly and rolled over on her other side, without attempting in the least to open her eyes. It seemed cruel to disturb her. She seemed so very sleepy. I think we must let the princess have her sleep out. Children are like that sometimes, said the nurse. And the queen was forced to agree to it, though she had a strange sinking at the heart. And even the king, when he came to look at his little daughter, felt uneasy, though he tried to speak cheerfully. No doubt she will wake in the morning, quite bright and merry, he said, all the brighter and merrier for sleeping a good round and a half of the clock. The morning dawned. The slow-coming winter daylight of the north found its way into the princess's nursery. A tiny gleam of ruddy sunshine even managed to creep in to kiss her dimpled cheek. But still the baby slept, as soundly as if the night was only beginning, and matters grew serious. It was no use trying to wake her. They all did their best, king, queen, ladies, nurses, and after them the great court physicians and learned men of every kind. All were summoned, and all consulted, and as the days went on a hundred different things were tried, but all to no purpose. She's bewitched, said the cleverest of all the doctors, and as time went on everyone began to agree with him. Even the king himself was obliged to think something of the kind was at the bottom of it. And at last one day, the queen, unable to endure her remorse any longer, told him the whole story, entreating him to forgive her for having by her discontent and murmuring brought upon him so great a sorrow. The king was very kind, but very grave. I understand it now, he said. The summer fairy told you true. Our northern winter spirit is indeed stern. We must submit. If we are patient and resigned, it is possible that in the future even his cold heart may be melted by the sight of our suffering. It's only I who deserve it, wept the poor queen. The worst part of all is to know that I've brought this sorrow upon you, my dear husband. And so repentant she was that she almost forgot to think of herself 
Never had she been so sweet and loving a wife. She did everything she possibly could to please and cheer the king, concealing from him the many bitter tears she shed as she sat for hours together beside the sleeping child. That winter was terribly severe. Never had the snow lain so thickly. Never had the wind blasts raged and howled more furiously. Often did the queen think to herself that the spirit must be infuriated at her very presence in this special domain. They might pity me now, now that I'm so punished. She bore all the winter cold and terrors uncomplainingly, nay, even cheerfully, nerving herself to go out alone in the bitterest weather, with a sort of hope of pleasing the winter fairy, possibly, if she could but see him, of making an appeal to him. But for many months he held his icy sway. Often, indeed, it seemed as if gentler times were never to return. Then, suddenly, one night, the frost went. A mild, soft breeze replaced the fierce blast. Spring had come. And wonderful to relate, the very next morning the queen was roused by loud knocking and voices at her door. Trembling, she knew not why, she opened it, and the head nurse fell at her feet, laughing and crying at once. The princess had awakened. Yes, there she was, chattering in her baby way, smiling and rosy as if nothing had been the matter. Oh, the joy of her parents and the jubilation all through the palace! And all through the summer, little Rose was wide awake in the daytime, just like other children. She was as well and strong and happy as a baby could be, but the summer will not last forever. Again returned the autumn, bringing with it the signs of the approaching winter, and one morning, when her nurse went to waken the princess, she found it was no use. Rose was sleeping again, with a smile on her face, calm and content, but alas, not to be wakened. And then it was remembered that the first snow had fallen in the night. Gradually the child's distressed parents resigned themselves to the sad truth. Their daughter was to be theirs only for half her life. For full six months out of every twelve, she was to be, in a sense, as far away from them as if the winter monarch had carried her off to his palace of ice altogether. But no, it was not quite so bad as that would have been. And the queen, who was fast learning to count her blessings instead of her troubles, smiled through her tears as she said to the king, What a mercy it was that they were still able to watch beside their precious child, to kiss her soft, warm cheek every night. And so it went on. In the spring the princess woke up again, bright and well and lively, and in every way six months older than when she'd fallen asleep so that to see her in the summertime no one could have guessed the strange spell that was over her. She became the sweetest and most charming girl in the world. Only one thing ever saddened her, and that was any mention of winter, especially snow. What does it mean, she would ask sometimes. What are they talking of? Show me this wonderful thing. Where does it grow? I want to see it. But no one could make her understand, and at these times a very strange look would come into her blue eyes. I must see it, she said. Some day I shall go away and travel far, far till I find it. These words used to distress her mother more than she could say, and she would shower presents on her daughter of flowers and singing birds, 
all to make her think of the sunshine and the summer, and for a time they would please the girl, till again she shook her head and murmured, I want the snow. So the years followed each other till the princess was sixteen. Every winter the queen had a faint hope, which however grew even fainter and fainter, that the spell was perhaps to be broken. But it was not so, and strange stories got about concerning the princess, some saying she was a witch in disguise, others that she had no heart or understanding, others that she turned into a bird or some animal during her half-life, so that the neighboring princes, in spite of her beauty and sweetness, were afraid to ask her in marriage, and this brought new sorrow to her parents. What will become of her after we are dead and gone, they said. Who will care for and protect our darling? Who will help her to rule over our nation? No people will remain faithful to a sovereign who's only awake half of the year. There will be revolts and rebellion, and our angel princess may perhaps be put to death or driven away. And they fretted so over this that the hair of both the king and queen grew white long before its time. But Rose only loved them the more on this account, for she had heard someone say that white hair was like snow, though she kept the fancy to herself, for she knew it troubled the queen if ever she mentioned the strange, mysterious word. She was so lovely that painters came from many countries just to see her face, and if possible be allowed to make a picture of her, and one of these portraits made its way to the court of a king who was a distant cousin of her father, and who had heard the strange things said of the princess. He was very angry about it, for he had two sons, and he was afraid of their falling in love with the beautiful face. So he ordered the picture to be destroyed before the elder prince who was away on a visit came home. But the servant who was to burn the picture thought it such a pity to do so that he only hid it away in a lumber room, and thither, as fate would have it, came the younger prince one day, in search of a pet kitten belonging to his sister which had strayed away, for he was a prince of a most kind and amiable nature. The moment he saw the picture, he fell in love with it. He made inquiry, and heard all there was to tell, then he arranged himself for a journey and came to bid his father farewell. I go, he said, to woo the princess Rose for my bride. And in spite of all the king could say, he kept firm. If she's a witch, he said, I would rather perish by her hands than live with any other. And amidst tears and lamentations, he set out. He was received with great delight at the court of Princess Rose's parents, though he came without any pomp or display, for he lost no time in telling the king and queen the reason of his visit. Knowing him to be a prince of most estimable character, they were overjoyed to hear of his resolve. I only trust, said the queen, that all may be well. But as you have doubtless heard, our darling child, despite her beauty and goodness, is under a spell. She then proceeded to tell him the whole matter of which he had already heard garbled accounts. He was relieved to find that the enchantment was of no worse a nature, and declared that it made no difference in his intentions, but rather increased his love for the princess. And when he first set eyes on her, more beautiful by far than even the beautiful portrait, 
He felt that his whole life would not be too much to devote to her, even considering her strange affliction. And who knows, he said to himself, but that such love as mine may find out a way to release her from the spell. The princess quickly learned to like him. She had never before had a companion so near her own age, and the last days of the summer passed most happily, till the time came when the prince thought he might venture to ask her to be his wife. They were walking in the terrace, in front of the castle, when he did so. It had been a lovely day, but the afternoon had grown chilly, and as the princess listened to his words, a cold breath of wind passed near them. The princess started, and aware of the queen's anxiety about her, the prince hastily proposed that they should return to the house. But Rose looked at him with a light in her eyes which he'd never seen before, and a strange smile broke over her face. It is a new life to me, she said. Can you not understand, you who are yourself a child of the north? Yes, prince, I will marry you on one condition, that you will show me the snow, but on no other. Then she turned, and without another word, walked slowly back to the palace. Prince Orso, for so he was called, felt terribly distressed. The spell is upon her, he thought to himself. She asks me to do what would probably kill her, or separate her forever from all who love her. And the king and queen, when they heard this story, were nearly as disappointed as he. But that very night the prince had a strange dream. He thought he was walking in the wood near the castle, when again a chill blast, but still more icy, swept past him, and he heard a voice speaking to him. It sounded hoarse and stern. Or so said. You're as foolish as the rest. Have you no trust? See what came of rebellion against me, who after all love my children, as does my sister of the summer. Leave the princess to the leadings of her own heart. Then with a crash of thunder the spirit went on its way, and the prince awoke to find that the window of his room had been dashed in by the force of a sudden gale which had arisen. But the next morning all was calm again. It almost seemed as if milder weather was returning again, and the queen looked brighter. But it was not so with the princess, who was silent and almost sad, and so things continued for some days. At last the prince could bear it no longer. One afternoon, when he found himself alone with the princess, he turned to her suddenly. Princess, he said, can you not give me another answer? You must know that I would fain promise anything you wish, but I dare not bind myself to that which might perhaps do you some injury. Rose turned toward him impatiently. That is just it, she said. I'm always met by excuses when I ask for the one thing I really desire. What is there about me really different from others? Why should I so often hear of what others seem to understand and not have it explained to me? I'm no longer a child. In my dreams I see things I cannot put in words, and beautiful as the world is, I feel that I only half know it. I long for what they call the winter, and what they call the snow, and they never come. Only the cold wind, which I felt once or twice, brings new life to me and fills me with strange joy. The prince hesitated. He understood her perfectly, for he was of the same brave and hardy race. Yet the queen's forebodings made him tremble. 
The prince's words reminded him of his own dream, and again he felt as if he heard the voice of the stern winter spirit, and as if in answer to his uncertainty. At that moment the howl of the cold blast sounded near them, among the trees, and lurid clouds began to gather overhead. The princess's face lighted up. Oh, she exclaimed, it is coming again. I fear so indeed, said Orso, and in his terror for her he caught her hand and would have hurried her back to the palace. But at that moment a shrill little cry was heard overhead, not far from where they stood, and glancing up they saw a bird of prey clutching a smaller one in its claws. With a terrible effort, the captive managed to free himself, but he was sadly wounded, and as Rose gazed upward in great concern, she saw him fall, fluttering feebly to the ground. All else was forgotten in the sight. "'Poor bird!' she cried. "'Let me go, Prince. I must find him where he's fallen, or a cruel death of slow suffering will be his.' The Prince let her go. He dared not hold her back, though he could have done so. Leave her to the guidings of her own heart, resounded in his ears. Almost at once she was lost to his sight among the trees, which grew very closely. Almost at the same moment, to his horror, something cold and soft touched his face, and snowflakes were falling thickly. If harm was to betide, it was too late to save her. But he pressed forward in unspeakable anxiety. It was some little time before he found her, and no reply came to his calls. But at last he caught sight of something blue on the ground. It was the princess's robe, and there indeed she lay, motionless, her eyes closed, a sweet smile on her face, the little wounded bird tenderly clasped in her hands. Orso threw himself on the ground beside the princess. Oh, he exclaimed, my carelessness has killed her. How can I ever dare to face the king and queen? Oh, winter spirit, you have indeed deceived me. But as he said the words, the princess opened her eyes. No, prince, she said, I'm not dead. I'm not even asleep. It was a strange gladness that seemed to take away my breath for a moment, and I must have sunk down without knowing. But now I feel stronger and happier than ever in my life before, now that I've seen and felt the beautiful snow of my own country, now that I've breathed the winter air I've been longing for always. And she sprang to her feet, her blue eyes sparkling with delight, looking lovelier than he'd ever seen her. Or so, she went on, half shyly, you have done what I asked you. Through you I have seen the snow and she held out her hand, which, white though it was, looked pink in comparison with the little flakes which were fluttering down on it. The prince was overjoyed, but he hesitated. I fear, he said, that in reality you should rather thank the poor little bird, or most of all your own kind heart. Poor little bird, she replied, looking at it, as it lay in her other hand. It is not dead. I will do all I can for it. Let us hasten home, Prince, so that I may bind up its poor wing. My father and mother will be too anxious about me. And together they returned to the palace. One glance at the princess as she came in sprinkled over with snow showed the queen that the spell was at last broken and her joy was past all words. 
The little bird spent all the winter in the palace, tenderly cared for by the Princess Rose, only flying away when the warm, sunny days returned. He pays them a visit still every summer to show his gratitude, and in all his travels he seldom sees a happier family than his friends in the old palace way up in the far, far northern land. End of section 10 Read by Sandra near Montreal in the Land of Snows, 2021